Large study shows high BMI not associated with serious top surgery complications. This is the Weight and Healthcare newsletter. If you appreciate the content here, please consider supporting the newsletter by subscribing and or sharing. I've written quite a lot about BMI-based procedure denials for higher weight patients. These denials typically amount to a patient having their healthcare held hostage for a weight loss ransom that they are very unlikely to be able to pay. I wrote about fighting these denials, about a collection of resources to fight joint surgery denials, a collection of resources to fight gender-affirming surgery denials, and now I have another study to add to that collection. A group of researchers at Johns Hopkins published a study on November 1st, Hassan et al., Association of High Body Mass Index with Postoperative Complications After Chest Masculinization Surgery, that looks at complication rates in transgender and non-binary patients undergoing chest masculinization surgery, often called top surgery. The conclusion was that, quote, chest masculinization surgery, or CMS, remains a safe option for transgender and non-binary patients and may be safe to perform in patients with higher BMI. The informed decision-making process between surgeons and their patients should clearly delineate the potential risks associated with higher BMI and the negligible overall incidence of significantly morbid complications, end quote. Let's dig into this. Some basics. The study utilized data on 2,317 transgender and non-binary patients from the National Surgical Quality Improvement Program from 2012 to 2020. The primary outcome they looked at was incidence of at least one complication within 30 days. The secondary outcomes they looked at were incidence of major and minor complications. Major complications included cardiac arrest requiring cardiopulmonary resuscitation, myocardial infarction, stroke, acute renal failure, unplanned intubation, pulmonary embolism, deep venous thrombosis, sepsis, septic shock, bleeding requiring transfusion, unplanned reoperation, unplanned readmission within 30 days, as well as prolonged hospital stay beyond this period. Minor complications included surgical site infection or SSI, urinary tract infection or UTI, pneumonia, and wound disruption without reoperation. They classed body mass index with as always, a reminder that it is a deeply problematic measure as class 0, BMI less than 30, 1, 30 to 34.9, 2, 35 to 39.9, 3, 40 to 44.9, 4, 45 to 49.9, and 5, greater than 50. The population included category 0, 1,501 participants, 1, 461 participants, 2, 208 participants, 3, 95 participants, and 4 and 5 each had 26 participants. Chest wall masculinization was defined as any mastectomy procedure performed among transgender and non-binary patients with or without nipple and areola reconstruction. I also want to say that this study is very well written and presented. Often these studies are dense and difficult to parse, even for someone with expertise. I feel like this study, though annoyingly it is behind a paywall, um, is particularly clear and easier to read, even if someone were less used to reading medical research. So I want to acknowledge the authors for that. Okay, let's talk about what they found. Those in Category 5 had a significantly higher risk of having at least one complication, 15.5%, compared with patients with BMI category 0, who had a 3.7% risk, and category 1, who had a 2% risk. Though it's interesting to note that those in category 1, who are considered quote-unquote obese, had a lower incidence than those in category 0, who are classified as quote-unquote non-obese. 
Those in Category 5 also had significantly greater incidence of UTI at 3.8% and bleeding requiring transfusion at 3.8%, compared with patients in Category 0 at 0.2% for bleeding and 0.1% for UTI, and Category 1, who again fared better than Category 0 at 0% for both. They point out that, quote, across BMI categories, there was no significant difference in the odds of unplanned reoperation, sepsis, bleeding requiring transfusion, or wound disruption without reoperation. Further, they explain that, quote, it remains clinically reassuring that none of the patients that developed postoperative SSI required unplanned reoperation, regardless of BMI. Hematoma was the most common indication for unplanned reoperation and did not significantly differ across BMI categories in our study. This is consistent with other retrospective studies by Rothenberger et al. and Coca-Cola et al. They also found that, quote, our results suggest that while increasing BMI is associated with the development of postoperative complications after CMS, the overall likelihood of life-threatening and significantly morbid complications is negligible. We recommend re-evaluation of BMI cutoffs for CMS patients. It would benefit surgeons and their patients to discuss the increased risk profile for unplanned readmissions, UTI, and SSI in patients with high BMI as part of the informed decision-making process. However, the risk for life-threatening complications such as PE and cardiac arrest remains low, end quote. This is important because there are serious risks for refusing these surgeries or demanding weight loss in order to get them. As the study authors point out, quote, chest masculinization surgery is the most common surgical procedure performed for transgender and non-binary patients and has been shown to drastically improve quality of life. Despite the physical, mental, and psychosocial benefits of gender-affirming surgery for transgender and non-binary patients, transmasculine patients seeking CMS can be denied surgery because of BMI requirements implemented to mitigate the potential risks for intraoperative and postoperative complications. They continue, quote, Body mass index requirements that lead to prescriptive dieting and weight loss can potentially worsen health outcomes and disordered eating behaviors. This is particularly relevant for the transgender non-binary patient population who are more likely to, to develop disordered eating behaviors compared with their cisgender counterparts. The use of BMI to restrict access to surgery can also potentially worsen pre-existing health disparities within the transgender non-binary population, as non-Hispanic black patients have higher BMI compared with Hispanic and non-Hispanic white patients on average. The use of BMI as a barrier to care can thus intensify pre-existing racial health disparities within the transgender and non-binary population, end quote. The authors point out that the study does have limitations, including relatively low numbers in higher BMI categories, the fact that it is retrospective, and that the follow-up was only one month, meaning that long-term outcome information could not be assessed. Though they point out that, quote, Nonetheless, we were able to appropriately assess major complications, which are most likely to occur within the short-term period or less than 30 days after surgery. They also point out that the analysis is limited by variables not included in the database, including gender-affirming testosterone use. A limitation that they don't include, but I will, is an uncritical basis in the weight-centric paradigm. For example, they claim that following surgery, patients can, quote, make significant progress in weight loss efforts, end quote. But the single study they cite to support that, Brownstone et al., body mass index requirements for gender-affirming surgeries are not empirically based, says nothing of the kind. In fact, it's quite honest that, quote, there is minimal empirical evidence that dieting and weight loss programs are effective for achieving significant and sustained weight-related outcomes, and this has been specifically found in a sample of transgender and non-binary individuals denied surgery who were not able to gain eligibility through behavioral weight loss programming, 
Rather, patients who engage in dieting have been shown to gain significantly more weight than non-dieters in the long and short term, contributing to a dangerous pattern of body weight destabilization known as weight cycling. Weight cycling is strongly associated with multiple negative health outcomes, including all-cause mortality, cardiovascular disease, immunosuppression-related bone mineral density, and chronic inflammation. In this study and beyond, I want to point out that when we talk about complication rates for higher weight patients, we always have to take care before placing the blame on body itself. That is because of the tremendous amount of weight stigma higher weight patients experience, not just practitioner bias, but also structural weight stigma. Surgeries are done using equipment and best practices that were typically developed for thin patients. Many med schools don't even utilize higher weight cadavers meaning that students have less exposure to higher weight patients throughout their education. There are also simply fewer people at the highest weights, meaning that surgeons and anesthesiologists are less likely to encounter them. This is likely exacerbated by the fact that surgeons are simply allowed to refuse to treat these patients. Similarly, post-surgical care is often not created or optimized for higher weight patients. A dangerous form of weight stigma happens when patients' bodies are blamed for these inequalities in care, thus allowing the onus to be put on patients to change their bodies rather than the healthcare system to accommodate patients of all sizes. For example, regarding the higher rate of UTIs among Category 5 patients, the study authors say, quote, We speculate that the longer operating time required for higher BMI patients may contribute to greater odds of postoperative UTI. Because long procedures require Foley catheterization or postoperative straight catheterization, these patients may be at greater risk for developing a UTI. Further studies are needed to corroborate this notion, end quote. That could be the case, and I appreciate their point on the need for further studies. I would like those studies to consider weight stigma as well. It's possible that operating times could be reduced by creating techniques and equipment specifically for higher weight people, and by surgeons having more practice time, for perhaps with higher weight patient simulators. It's also possible that the increase in UTIs could be, at least in part, due to higher weight patients having longer duration of post-surgical catheterization because the facility doesn't have the proper equipment to help them access and use a bathroom or commode, which could be everything from lifts to high weight rated tall and wide toilets and commodes. Or the staff doesn't have the time and or the desire to use that equipment, requiring and or preferring to keep patients catheterized, especially given horrifying research findings around doctors and nurses saying they would prefer not to treat or touch higher weight patients. That said, I am heartened by their recommendation, and I would like to see more studies like this around BMI-based surgical denials. I also think that the mention of shared decision-making conversations is such an important point. The idea that if fat people may have higher complication rates than, or won't have the exact same outcomes as, thinner people, then they don't deserve care at all is deeply troubling. Not just because fat people are highly unlikely to become thin people, though that's absolutely true, but because it leads to a vicious cycle, wherein the healthcare system creates weight stigma and care inequalities, blames the negative impacts of weight stigma and care inequalities on fat patients' bodies, then uses those negative impacts to justify more weight stigma and care inequalities. In some cases, this can be solved at the provider level, which is to say that surgeons can stop refusing to care for higher weight patients. The idea that this patient might be more complicated, take more time, or be less profitable should not be a justification for denied care. But this also requires systemic change in that, firstly, our healthcare system in the U.S. is for-profit, and given the amount of weight stigma that exists, surgeons who decide that fat patients aren't worth the time or effort are largely supported. Second, surgeons are often judged internally, including in terms of pay and promotion, on their stats, their rates of complication and outcomes. 
The expected rates of complications and outcomes are typically based on thin patients. This means that surgeons are literally incentivized to deny care to patients who they feel may have higher complication rates or worse outcomes. The system has to change from one that is built for and prioritizes thin bodies to one that is built for bodies of all sizes and prioritizes equitable care for all. It's reasonable for surgeons to have informed consent and shared decision-making conversations with patients about possibly higher complication rates, including creating plans to help reduce and or for how to handle them should they occur. It's not reasonable to hold higher weight patients' healthcare hostage for a weight loss ransom. Did you find this post helpful? You can subscribe for free to get future posts delivered direct to your inbox or choose a paid subscription to support the newsletter and get special benefits. Go to weightandhealthcare.com and click subscribe.